Welcome to the Real Life Arizona podcast, the latest sermons from the Sunday worship gatherings of Real Life Ministries Arizona, delivered weekly right here. Let's get to this week's message. Well, last week we opened up the, the book of John uh, for the first time, and that's where we're going to be spending a little bit of time here this spring. And, and we talked about how the other Gospels are kind of a synopsis or a summary of the life of Jesus. But, but John's gospel is, is a, little different, a little different breed. We, we talked about how he's, he's actually selectively painting a portrait of Jesus, a portrait of the Godhead, a portrait of the Trinity. And as he paints, as he illustrates through his writings, the invitation uh, to us is, is to come and see, to come and see. And, and last week we saw John getting into some of his favorite themes, themes that will run throughout his gospel, themes that he uses more than any other gospel writer in the New Testament. Themes like light and life and believe are, are really points of emphasis in John's gospel to the point where he talks about those things, light and life, and, and calls people to belief and believing you know, in his gospel, he will, he will mention the word believe 98 times, whereas all of the other gospels combined might mention it 20. And so it's really this selective portrait of Jesus that we are diving into this month. And, and as John paints, paints this portrait, it's, it's a portrait of Jesus, the word of God, the light of the world, the life of men. And, it, and it's God made visible it's God made understandable. Jesus is God made relatable. And, and another invitation lies within all of this. And that is the invitation to receive him. To receive the word. To receive God incarnate by believing in him. And, and that invitation is to become a child of God. That, that we are invited to become children of God. Well, this week we are going to wrap up John's initial portrait. The prologue to his gospel runs verses 1 through 18. And, and you know, one writer says that, that John, as opposed to some of the other gospel writers, as, as John comes out of the gates in chapter 1 talking about the word and the light and the life, that John is, is laying all of his cards on the table right up front. And so in these last few verses, uh, 14 through 18, John is laying out the final cards on the table, giving us the full picture of who Jesus is. Uh, so let's, let's read then in John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And, and just for the matter of uh, continuity, I'm going to skip over verse 15. Verse 15 says, John, it talks about John the Baptist. And it says, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now it's important to the understanding of John's gospel, who John the Baptist was, but this parenthetical statement, that's a big word I learned somewhere. I don't remember which degree that one came with. But, but parenthetical just means it's inserted there, but it doesn't really flow with the rest of the argument. And so I, I throw that out at the beginning so that I can read kind of without that broken spot in there uh, what John is saying about the word. Um, in verse 14 he says, and the word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. People have seen bits of God and the glory of God, but no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side or in the bosom of the Father He, Jesus, has made him known. Those first five words. And the word became flesh. Thinking back to everything that's been said about the word already in John's introduction. I I just sat in that for a moment this week. That the Word, who who created all things, (laughs) things seen and unseen, things in heaven and on earth, the Word became flesh. The Word took on our humanity. It's the magnificence of God. It really is. It's too much (laughs) to take in, honestly. And then John describes the purpose of his becoming flesh. And, And here we start picking up echoes of the Old Testament, echoes of Moses and the Israelites. It says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, Some translations will use the word and tabernacled among us. I think um, the message says pitched his tent among us. Uh, It's it's all references to the tabernacle in Israel in the Old Testament. So he, he became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth, the law given through Moses, All of these echoes to Moses and Israel and the Old Testament, seeing his glory, a reference to the tabernacle. Um, If if you don't recall, in in the Old Testament, while they were living in the wilderness, God instructed them to build a tabernacle. It it was this giant and and ornate tent. And and when they had built and consecrated the tabernacle, um, guess what happened? God's glory filled the tabernacle. God's glory filled the tabernacle and God dwelled among his people within the context of that tabernacle. That was his dwelling place. And John is saying God is doing what he did in the Old Testament, but he's doing something new. Rather than coming and filling a tabernacle, he is taking on flesh walking and breathing and talking among of us. God has become one of us. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses 
has led the people out of Israel. God is giving him instructions on the next part of the journey. And this is one of the places where I realized that I could really identify with Moses, right? That he's a human being like you and me. He says, and, and, and this next ask that God is giving him is a, is a pretty big piece, right? And, and so Moses just pauses and he says, okay, <laughs> in, in order for me to say yes to this next thing, I, I really just need to know a little bit more about you. I think sometimes we think that that Moses and all these people in the Old Testament had this really full, clear understanding of who God was. But here we see Moses saying, I I need you to show me your ways that that I can know you. And and then a little bit later, he says, he asked God, he says, show me your glory. John talked a little bit earlier about glory. Basically, what is Moses asking? He's asking God to reveal to him what God most wants to be known for, right? Like, like what's the most important thing to know about you, right? That's, that's what I need to understand, Moses says. And, and this is the way God answers him. He says, well, first of all, <laughs> you, you can't look directly on my glory, right? So you're going to go in this cleft of a rock. And then what's going to happen is I'm going to cause my goodness to pass before you. Right? I'm going to cause my goodness to pass before you. I love this picture. I think it was Daryl Dell who say that talked about this, but he just pointed out, he said, God's glory is his goodness. What, what God should most be known for, what, what he wants most known about him is his goodness. And so while, while Moses was tucked away there, the Lord passed by and his goodness passed by Um, and and these were the words that God pronounced at that moment he said the Lord the Lord a merciful and gracious God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness Moses needed to know God and God said here's my goodness I need you to know that I'm, I'm abounding in mercy and grace, and steadfast love, and faithfulness. And and so we get these inklings and these echoes of God's glory being revealed in the Son, the only Son from the Father. You know, and what, what really struck me this week was when it says in verse 14 that he is full of, of grace and truth. Just that, that one word matters so much. Grace and truth, critical to understanding. But the fact that John says that he is full of grace and truth. I, I think it's definition Sunday, because um, I'm going to share another definition with you this week. And this is of the Greek word that John uses here for full And it means containing within itself all that it will hold. To be be full means that something is containing within itself. That bottle is not quite full. It could contain more water. That bottle is not quite full, thanks to me. It could also contain a little bit more water. But Jesus was full. He, He contained within himself 
all that he could of grace and truth. And and here's why that matters. Because John is saying God did not hold back any grace. God did not hold back any truth. That, That when Jesus, the Word, became flesh and took on our humanity, it was with God's purposeful intention that he was filled to as much as could be held within him of grace and truth. And then John uses this same word again in verse 16. He says, and from his fullness. In other words, because he was filled to capacity with all the grace that he could hold, that we have received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Some commentators liken this to the ocean and how the waves come in. Just wave after wave. Wave after wave. Grace upon grace. More favor upon those who have already received God's favor. You know, Heather and I have been taking our kids to Mission Beach for the better part of 20 years or more. Um, and, I, and I can tell you, based on 20 years of going to Mission Beach, uh, that, that you could sit on that shore for your entire life And the waves would never stop coming. And so it is with God's grace. That we will never wear it out. That it is like the ocean upon the shore. It is wave upon wave upon wave of God's grace. When you think about how many years those waves have been crashing on those shores and how many waves a day come in and go out day after day, week after week, year after year, so has God's grace through Jesus been pouring upon the earth, being poured out for humanity. Wave after wave, grace upon grace. Verses 17 and 18, John says, Now the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came about through Jesus Christ. We have held up here Moses and Jesus. Moses is over here with the law. Right? Moses, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, goes up on the mountain, comes down with the law, later delivers more and more of the law. It's Moses, the law. And over here you have Jesus, full of grace and truth. 
You know, something uh, funny happened the other day. So we've got, we've got Moses and Jesus, right, held up, juxtaposed against one another. Uh, and it just reminded me uh, a week or so ago, um, I was asking a family member where um, something had gone. And um, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but this little figurine statue thing sits outside of my office in the hallway. And um, so I was asking him, hey, do you know where that you know, return receipt thing or whatever went? And um, the family member, who will remain nameless at this moment, um, said, oh yeah, I put it by the Jesus statue outside of your office. And I immediately knew what he was talking about because in our minds, you know, Jesus and Moses probably look a lot alike, right? They have little robes on and long beards. And the difference is that Moses has the law, right? And I, and I just thought, how, how appropriate. Because we as Christians often fail to distinguish, um, fail to recognize the importance or the difference between the law and grace. And some of that, I believe, is because our heart and our mind really, really understands the law, right? Because the law says, do good, get good. Do bad, get bad, right? We understand the law. We, we can figure out how to operate according to the law. But grace, <laughs> grace is a different story. Grace is something that we have to believe and, and receive. Our, our tendency is towards law. Year after year after year, I go back and I read the book, We Would See Jesus. Why do I do that? Because We Would See Jesus brings me from my tendencies to move back towards the law where I want to earn it and deserve it and, and get what I deserve and not get what I don't deserve and and that book, We Would See Jesus, just brings me back to grace, helps me understand grace again, and how important it is for us to understand the difference between law and grace. You know, in the Old Testament with the law, the law was seen as the means of God's revelation. We, we came to know God through his revelation in the law, and following the law was the means to life. But what John is saying is that Jesus has supplanted the law. He has displaced the law in terms of understanding who God is and the means of arriving and receiving life. Jesus actually said, I came to fulfill the law. Right? I'm not abolishing it. It's not that it doesn't exist anymore. It's just that all of its demands upon people have been fulfilled and completed in me. And now you receive grace upon grace upon grace that, that it's no longer the law written on tablets of stone, but God will write his law on hearts and give us new hearts of flesh. Flesh that's alive, not hard like stone, but malleable and alive in us. One leads to condemnation and death and the other leads to life. And how important it is, it is for us to understand the difference between Moses and Jesus, to understand the difference between law and grace. 
And then John wraps up um, his prologue, his, his initial portrait of Jesus, by saying that no one has ever seen God, but the only Son, or the only one, the, the word Son is actually not in the text there um, in Greek, but it's, it's this word that means the only one or the unique one who is God and at the Father's side or in the Father's bosom speaks of this closeness, this nearness um, and intimacy of one who deeply knows another. He says this one, the word, Jesus, in the flesh, he has made him known. And, and I love this because uh, that word for having made him known can mean uh, that he has narrated him. I love that. You know, we, we watched this uh, movie last night called The Goldfinch. Um, and the reason we watched it is because my daughter Elizabeth, oh, who, by the way, made this lovely graphic, if I didn't mention that last week. Um, my daughter Elizabeth and my wife Heather and I have all three read this book called The Goldfinch. And it comes out on a movie, and so we all watched the movie last night. I highly recommend the book. I'm not so sure about the movie. Um, but I found myself as I was watching the book, or watching the movie, I listened to the book, I watched the movie, get that straight. Um, as I watched the movie, I kept thinking to myself, you know what's missing? You know what's missing from this movie is the inner dialogue of the characters. Right? It's not so much the things that they did or said, but the inner dialogue, what's going on in their minds is what's missing from the movie that gets fleshed out so much more in the book as it is narrated. Right? And, and, and that's what John is saying here. Right? Is, is we're getting the inner dialogue of God. We're not just watching a movie that's, that's this like short encapsulation. But God is giving us the full story, unabridged revelation, fullest revelation, unabridged. It's all here in Jesus. Um, he has narrated him. He has explained him. He has interpreted him. What an introduction. <laughs> In the coming weeks, we're going we're gonna to get into more of John's portrait of Jesus. But there is just so much. I mean, for this passage today, every verse in here could have been its own message of 30 or 40 minutes, the significance of the things that John says here. Um, but he wraps it up with the fact that Jesus has narrated or explained or interpreted the Father for us. Uh, what are a couple of takeaways for us this week? Well, well here's a couple of mine. Um, I just keep coming back to that, that fullness that John talks about, right? That he's full of grace and truth. Uh, and those wave after wave of grace coming. You know, I, I remembered this morning, the last time Heather and I were in San Diego, we were down by the pier in Pacific Beach and, and we walked under the pier. And, and as I looked at these huge, I mean, I wanna call them wooden beams, but I don't know what you call them when they're the supports underneath the pier. Um, but they are, you know, so huge, so big around. And as, as we're walking underneath the pier, I notice for the first time that they're encapsulated in concrete. As high up as the water might come, 
that those uh, pillars are encapsulated in concrete. Why? Because the people that built that pier knew the force and the relentlessness of those waves. And if they left just exposed wood, that it would break them down and take them down over time. It just reminded me of the relentlessness of God's grace. How it just keeps pursuing. How it just keeps coming. I, I think of Paul's words in Romans chapter 5. Where he says that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. That, that relentlessness, that no matter where we are, his grace just continues to pour out, continues to pursue me, continues to pursue you. And the second thing, uh, a second takeaway today uh, is, is becoming. You know, we, we often talk about Matthew 418, 419, uh, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. That was, that was Jesus' invitation to the disciples. I will make you become fishers of men. John uses the word become like three times in four verses in this section. You and I are invited to become children of God. Why? Because the word became flesh. And, and the law was delivered through Moses, but grace and truth became Grace and truth came into being. They became because of Jesus Christ. The life of of spiritual vitality. Spiritual vitality is found in a life that is pursuing continued growth and becoming what God is calling me to become. If you want to be set on a path to spiritual vitality, it it involves the pursuit and attention to becoming everything that God wants you to become, everything that God wants me to become. Spiritual plateau is, is when I stop pursuing, when I stop going after, when I stop looking for God to speak in and continue to transform me. When, when I look at who I've become and I say, that's good enough. I've come from here to here, and that's good. That's a ticket to spiritual plateau. And and the invitation to the spiritual life is one of just continual becoming. That it's the process of a lifetime. That the reason that God pours out grace upon grace upon grace is not only because my ability to stop and stumble and fall, but also because I need His continued grace upon grace upon grace to become all that he's calling me to become. Right? That he will never stop pouring out his grace and his goodness to continue to bring me along the path that he has me on. And that's something to be thankful for. That, that he doesn't just leave me washed up on a beach somewhere. Right? And, and this is as far as I go. Um, but that he calls me into continuous relationship with him. I think about John as he was sharing earlier about becoming a grandfather. Right? It, it's this process of becoming. Right? That, 
that he went from a single man to a married man and, and had to learn how to become that. And then he became a father. <laughs> and he had to learn how to become that. And now he's a grandfather. And God is continuing to work. And, and what did he say? I, I didn't used to cry. <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a grandfather now. Right? God is continuing to move in my heart, causing me to become more and more of who he desires me to be, uh, growing me uh, and bringing me along in maturity. I think we can both agree that we're both maturing, right, John? In many ways. <laughs> A couple ways. Yes. I, I feel the maturity when I try to get out of bed in the morning. Um, but how good is it that God's not done with us yet? That, that he has more for us in this life. And that those waves of grace just continue to come. Thank you for joining us. Real Life Arizona is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. For more information about Real Life, please visit our website at reallifearizona.com or email us at info at reallifearizona.com. May God richly bless you.